Hey guys, this is Liz Cambage. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? This is Esther Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation, what is up? I'm Steve. I'm here solo today. Uh, midweek episode, and we're here to talk uh, a bevy of news and performances. It's been an intriguing week. A lot of, you know, some news coming in throughout, uh, the league and some fun stuff or less than fun stuff to talk about. Depends on how much you like, you know, juicy drama. It depends. Uh, but before we drop into that, let me, let me hit plug corner for a second. Of course, if you want to find us online, head over to Twitter at WNBA Nation Pod, similar over at Facebook. You can also follow us on TikTok if you so feel the need. We're building some content there, which is pretty fun. Uh, you can check out any episode anywhere your podcast can be found. Uh, we are, a Affiliated with the Blue Wire Network, you can head to their website as well and uh, check out some other fantastic podcast material they have there. They have some great women's sports podcasts affiliated as well. Of course, you can follow our streams of content over at our website, WNBANation.com, where we can link you over to our podcast feed, uh, our YouTube page, and then, of course, our live streams on Twitch, uh, our, our, our Twitch fam over in chat right now. Always happy to have you guys. Uh, feel free to drop it if you haven't before. Uh, if you, you've been listening for a while, if you like it, we'd love, uh, if you want to hit that subscribe button and, uh, give us some support there. You can do that monetarily yourself or through an Amazon Prime account. If you do, uh, if you have a Prime account, you get one monthly subscription for free. On Twitch. Um, so it gives us a kickback. Costs you nothing. Pretty darn cool. If you want even more of us, you can check us over on Playback once a week at least. Uh, we'll be doing some watch along, watch parties on the Playback. Uh, platform. I call it app. I think they're just launching an iOS app right now. Uh, but you can head over there. Uh, links to those will always be available through our social feed. So feel free to check all of that out. Uh, and as always, if you want to, to look fresh as a W fan and a fan of the podcast, feel free to head over to our Teespring merch page. Links to those will be uh, on our website, WMBNation.com and, and on our socials. Um, we just lined that out. We got some really fresh prints, really good material coming in. I don't have my slides with me or I'd show them on camera here on the Twitch, but check all of that out. Always, uh, always a fun time. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'll be running things solo this week. Our hosts are anywhere and everywhere living life. And I had a chance to jump on and have some chat. So, uh, let's, let's hit the news reel. Uh, the main story so far as it looks like this week is over in the city of angels. Derek Fisher officially out as head coach of the Los Angeles Sparks. Um, I believe this uh, at least launched through The Athletic, uh, but I forget who originally dropped that. So, unfortunately, right now, I can't give the full credit there. Uh, but uh, the Sparks announced that they are parting ways uh, with Fisher, um, who has been in seats since late 2018. So, I believe three full seasons or so. Um the Sparks are off to only a five and seven start. They're 12 games into the year. So it's not necessarily, uh, too horrible of a run. Uh, he was 56 and 46 as Sparks head coach, which isn't a terrible record, but, uh, really only converted to one playoff win. Uh, it never really felt like, 
the Sparks found a high level of mojo as a roster under his tenure. I know his hiring initially came with its level of controversy and naysaying, uh, given that Brian Agler uh, was moved out and very quickly Fisher was brought in. Uh, it almost gave that, you know, that feeling that this kind of was an anticipated move that was going to be happening one way or the other. And you had at the time and still have a great roster of very capable assistant coaches across the league who could have potentially looked into picking up that job. And, and the sparks organization went the MNBA route and found a, a former MNBA coach, regardless of their tenure there. And, uh, it, it ended up the way that it ended up. It was, it was really a surprising move given that the Sparks necessarily weren't, I would say, in a bottom feeding mode. I mean, they were five and seven. They did go three and seven in the last 10 games. So they haven't looked great, but none of that would scream on the performance level that there's need to just get the coach out and make that move. Timing during the season sort of makes sense. There's a part of me that wonders if, uh, the Sparks anticipated, you know what, we might, you know, they're in the middle of a, you know, they have a new front office structure and play and um but i'm curious uh, if this is something that potentially was on their mind and they kind of pinpointed this point in the season when they were going to just go ahead and make the decision if they were going to do it simply because the sparks have a six-day layover during this run so if you do move your coach out you bring in an interim coach who is fred williams in this case you're giving them six days with no stress of games, you can run practices, you can, you know, get soft into that role before you need to actually coach that game. And, you know, Fred Williams has a decade of tenure as a head coach. So I don't know that that's something that's that difficult to step into in that case, but the, the opportunity is convenient. Um, I know a lot of people were curious if coach Trammell was going to take on that role and it looks like that is not the case, um, which really makes the discussion of who's going to be taking the seat full time much more interesting in my case. Um, I have a lot of like a whole bevy of, of wide opinions as far as this move goes, because uh, and for me, it's almost biased in a way, just given my upbringing growing up in Los Angeles and, you know, my time as an MNBA, you know, soul fan and being a fan of of the Sparks counterpart. So uh, there's always that soft spot for fish because of his time as a player and people who followed him in his playing career got the sense that he was going to transition so well as a coach. There's a lot of players that people just think naturally they're going to move in and just be the, you know, a fantastic coach. They have a good basketball IQ, leadership mindset, whatever have you. It's never really quite fit with fish yet. Um, his tenure with the Knicks was less than stellar. Granted, that's the Knicks sometimes. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I would never want Jimmy Dolan as my, <laughs> as my boss, but that's a, you know, it, it didn't quite pan out. And then we see a transition over to the Sparks position. And, and I think the tough part of it is, and I'm only speaking from my scope, which is less than others, but I never really got the sense, honestly, uh, that what I had said when the hire happened really came to pass, which was this hire back in 2018 has the potential to be a very, very strong move. If 
Fisher shows that he's very much all in. He's very invested in this move, and this isn't something he's using to transition into a different level. But if he really shows that this is something that's important to him and he steps into it strongly, it could really pay some dividends. And I never really got the sense over the last three or so years that fish, this was Fisher's A1. He was really locked in to doing big things here. I mean, during the WNBA season, you could still see him on Spectrum Sportsnet doing studio spots to talk about Lakers offseason news. Uh, to come into studio and talk about free agency and trade agreements and upcoming draft stuff. And I know people who have direct, you know, are directly involved in the WNBA as a player or a coach have other ventures that they're running. Lindsay Whalen was trying to make recruiting trips for the University of Minnesota while she was playing for the Minnesota Lynx. I know that happens, but uh, I just always felt like Fisher saw sort of saw the sparks head coaching job as a part of his load and not necessarily this is what I do and then there's other things that might fall in place but this is who I am and this is what I do I never really quite fully got the the run of that the identity of their roster of course always kind of fell flat a little bit I mean it just feels like drama seems to follow this roster, this this organization in a lot of places over the last couple of years, because around the Fisher hire, you had the whole back end Penny Toller situation. Um, you lost one of your two uh, most successful players in the history of your franchise and Candace Parker, who immediately goes to a new team and wins a championship. Um, you have a former MVP and big, big, big impetus to your championship in Neko Ogumike, who through all of these roster changes, no one seems to have a good handle as to what her standing is on that roster. You're talking about a player who probably would be considered an A1 on many most of roster and hasn't quite, you know, we're not quite sure where, where she fits at this point now in her 10th season in the league. Uh, and then this last offseason, you're picking up a Liz Cambage, you're picking up Jordan Canada, you're picking up Kennedy Carter, you're picking up Katie Lou Samuelson. And it, they were all very spicy and exciting moves that had potential to add a bevy of talent to the Sparks and turn them into a really fun, exciting and successful team if they could figure that equation out. And it just doesn't seem like it's quite figured out. Like we quite know what the identity of this team is and what they can do to branch success. And granted, if you look at the current WNBA standings, that's a lot of teams right now. There's five or six teams, maybe half of the, of the buildup of, of the league right now who don't quite have an equation or a formula on what's going to make their roster stick which is why at five and seven, the Sparks currently sit in the eight spot. I mean, if things go rate wise, if their run rate goes through, you're looking at a potential late playoff team in the Sparks still, which is what makes this move all the more intriguing. Um, it really begs to say that I think behind the scenes, there's going to be a lot more that's going to play out here. So uh, I imagine as news and reports come in, we'll hear a lot more about what potentially led to this and if it goes beyond. Uh, just them feeling like this wasn't the direction the Sparks were headed to be a successful team. If if there was some back end drama that that led to it, or just a you know a disagreement of a vision for the organization, um, you know they're going through a lot of stuff. You know this is Vanessa Shea's her role as president of the team is going what on four weeks or something. Now you know it's it's she's still working through. Her flow uh, in her role and now 
Uh, we've seen this decision come in. It's really intriguing. Um, it's always an interesting case when you see a coaching change happen partway into the season, especially early in the season. We've now seen it twice in the W. NBA and it begs to wonder like is they, if this is becoming a cultural move this is something you may see in in the league maybe not overly regularly but something that's terribly rare that might suddenly happen more than you would imagine um and it's maybe something in the pro sports world that might happen more than regularly to say um when we feel like we're ready to make a move let's just not wait on it and and especially in the WNBA's case where a lot of individuals who potentially could fill that role, who potentially could take over as a head coach, now is actually the time you could start looking at them because, say, they have ties to a college team. They're right in the middle of of pretty heated recruitment for a lot of players. So, you know, if you don't, if you're not able to pull them in now and wait till the end of the season, they may be very much locked in with their team because they're preparing to start a college season. They may be prepared to start off season. Uh, responsibilities, Olympic responsibilities, they may be, they may have media connections. And so they can't really make that move now. And with the WNBA, it's interesting where you essentially are running through everyone else's off season. This is sort of the time that you could potentially make some of those moves. And that could run into these types of decisions getting made saying, listen, if we have names in mind that are a big deal that we think could pay a lot of dividends for us, this might be the time. This leads really into that next discussion, which a lot of people have been having, which is, you know, what is next for Los Angeles? Um, where do we anticipate this coaching situation to be come off season time? Right now, we've got Fred Williams at the helm. Do we realistically see Fred Williams in a full-time head coaching spot? I don't necessarily see it. I'm not here to say that will definitely happen, but I don't necessarily see it. Um, you know, obviously Fred Williams has specifically experienced coaching Liz Cambage. So, uh, that's an interesting point right off the bat there. Like, do we actually anticipate that being uh, a plus minus, you know, whatever it be? Uh, that said, I think that this, you know, aside from Indiana where there were a good amount of names that came up, there's a bevy of names I've already heard being bandied about for the Sparks job. It, it makes it really intriguing to who picks it up. I think the first name that really came up for a lot of people initially was Latisha Trammell, um, or Latricia, Latricia Trammell, um, current Sparks assistant, um, has been running the defensive side of the roster quite a lot and seeing a lot of success. I mean, you look at players like Brittany Sykes and their potential on the defensive end. Coach Trammell has been a big part of that. Um, a lot of people are, um, I guess you could say curious or, uh, there's, there was some eyebrow raising where she didn't pick up that interim job. The thought would be if they were going to go with Trammell, they probably would have made that move and given her time to gel with the team as a head coach. So that didn't happen. People are curious what that will lead to. Um, so obviously that name is going to pop up. Um, there's been a long list of former Sparks names that have been brought up. Obviously Tina Thompson, I believe is technically available after, uh, being fired from Virginia. Um, It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if, if that's quite the move given her college coaching tenure, but obviously it's a big name. Delight, uh, Delish, uh, Milton Jones, um, has been, I know called up quite a bit. She is at Old Dominion right now. So that's definitely been a heavy discussion point. I, and that one is, is hard for me to call out there. Um, 
whether that works. You know, she's 37 and 21, I believe it'll, it'll Dominion. Uh, so, you know, again, former player, a lot of excitement there. I have a couple of names that pop up. You're going to hear Corey Close's name come up quite a lot, head coach over at UCLA. It always feels like the local colleges, <laughs> like those successful coaches seem to come up. Corey Close, I believe, has been with UCLA for just over a decade, has had a handful of really, really strong, successful seasons, has had a few down years. This was a less than stellar year for UCLA in this previous season. But one of her strongest runs was over the last few years with um, Michaela Onyenwede and Jordan Canada. That That Canada run was possibly the best season that UCLA had had in a very long time. And she was definitely their star player at the time went, ended up going fifth to the sparks or to the storm fifth. I think I'm correct. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong with that pick. I ended up going to the storm and now ending up with the sparks. So you have a chance, you know, is, is the potential while UCLA is in a down period to say, Hey, you can come back and coach one of your top players that you have a great relationship with in Jordan, Canada. Is that enough to, to lure her away? Remains to be seen. I'm not sure if that'll quite work. I mean, there's a lot of college positions right now that feel like they're lifer positions if you can be successful enough. And so pulling those players, even though it's moving up to the pro league, it isn't quite as uh, enticing as a chance to build a long tenure with a college team. So if, if Corey Close continues to be the name at UCLA, I don't know. It would take a lot for that to, to pick up. Milton Jones obviously is a big one. Uh, Tanya Edwards is one name that seems to... Pop in for me, um, currently an assistant with Chicago and has, um, you know, had a, had a strong tenure with the Sparks as an assistant, was an assistant with the Sparks, uh, during their championship run in 2016. Um, has shown really high promise as an assistant for James Wade. Um, just looking at the assistant, Coach route. That's one name that I think she'd be looking to, to make a move up and, and it could potentially be a fit. So that remains to be seen. There are two names I do want to discuss though on very different levels. The one name that for me is highest on my list. I haven't heard this come up too much. Uh, but Natalie Nicasi was the, uh, was I believe according to, to rumor mills in the, in a finalist spot to take over the Mercury head coaching position, then ended up going to coach Nygaard. Um, I believe at the time she was an assistant with the Clippers and is currently the lead assistant for the Aces. Um, Becky Hammond was hired and that was her first call was to coach Nikasi. Um, they were, I think two of the longest, either the two or at least in the top echelon of the longest tenured female assistants in the MNBA when Becky's hire was made. So if that mojo matters to people, that's definitely there. Also, Nakasi has all kinds of Southern California ties. She's an Anaheim native. She played at UCLA. She, um, obviously had her, her stint with the Clippers. She's close by with Vegas. So there's still a, a connection there. Um, highly regarded by plenty of coaches and players throughout the league and throughout basketball. Um, she, uh, even has some office experience as far as, you know, if they're looking for kind of a cross GM role, she has the potential to make that work. Um, and a huge, huge player coach. She's the type of person that has experience, 
working specifically with personalities on a roster with, with kind of star players with trying to get rosters to mesh. In my opinion, she definitely feels like someone that if she were interested, she may really be enjoying this ride that the aces are on. And coach Hammond has <clears throat> come in very strong uh, with the aces and is, is working hard to, to make them a mainstay roster. And if, if she's looking to ride that train to, to try and help see to Vegas being a, a mainstay type team, there's a high potential that happens. But if she's looking to make that move, if she's putting her hand up and saying, I really think uh, I have a, I'd have a good tenure with the sparks and turn that team around. I am huge. Like a just, that's my number one, a one call is to make that move. Uh, I'm not about making the splash t- uh, higher. I'm about making the right higher. And again, you want to play that counterpart discussion with the MNBA counterpart. Um, in Los Angeles, they have tried to make splash hires for coach this go around. The feeling is they went to find the right individual to work with that roster who for their case was Darvin ham. I think Nikasi totally has that um, big shout out to Socrates King, whoever the heck that is uh, uh, recently dropping a subscription and on a 10 month streak. So there you go. Calling out the poster. Head over to our merch page, get yourself a Warhol printout on a poster, on a shirt. I have a pair of slides with, with them. They're upstairs. Um, good stuff there. But Akasi is my number one call. Like if I, if, if, if she makes herself available and is interested in that Sparks move, that's like the first move that I make. The other intriguing call, and I'm not saying I have no idea how this would work. We have a handful of players in the league right now, well seasoned veterans. Uh, in the twilight of their career. And a lot of them, people are saying, you know, they, when they retire, they should just become head coach. You hear that with Sue Bird a lot. And Christy Tolliver is one of those names. If you want to do something very interesting, uh, you put Fred Williams, who has head coaching experience in a head coaching spot and you take the rest of this year and you make Christy kind of a de facto player coach who sits under Fred Williams with that, uh, that experience and that understanding. And with the understanding that you just go ahead and say, Hey, let's ride the Tolliver train. I'm not saying it happens. I'm not saying it would be successful. I'm not saying it would be a smart idea. I don't know what's in Christie's head right now. She very much may see herself as someone who's going to play another five or six seasons for all we know. Um, but if, if that move were to be made, uh, where a player just comes off of, you know, puts their sneakers up and immediately puts on coaching shoes, which I mean, if you're Don Staley is also sneakers, so it may not be any different. Um, but if that's a move that would be made, given the Sparks penchant for drama and trying to add some spice to things, this is the case that wouldn't shock me. If they just say, let's do it, let's make it happen here. Um, I know she definitely has an energy to try and make the sparks a successful team and uh you know she has experience she was on that championship roster in LA in 2016 you might even hear some scuttle about Simone Augustus who's currently sitting as an assistant with the team that i think is going to have a little more time to cook but who who the heck knows at this point so that's my case on it there's a you're going to hear even more names bandied about especially uh if that move isn't made uh Throughout the college season, you'll hear a lot of college names being bought up, but 
that'll be an interesting case in Los Angeles. But all we know right now, Fisher, Derek Fisher is officially at Los Angeles. Fred Williams is at the helm on an interim basis. And right now, if the season ended a third of the way through the year, the Sparks would still be a playoff team at five and seven sitting in the eight spot. So there's just a lot of things that could be happening right now. Uh, but that's every, that, that's, that's the coaching discussion there. Um, and again, to the, you know, our Twitch fam, if you have any questions, drop those in. We may have time to, to hit a couple of those. Uh, if you have any immediate thoughts on the Fisher firing, I know one of our, uh, shout out to one of our, uh, Twitch mainstays, Starfighter94 says, uh, I felt like Fisher's firing wasn't called for. Uh, the rest of the league, uh, is played from their case is playing mediocre, mediocre, not just Los Angeles. That was a, a thought that I'd had earlier, but yeah, you're looking at, a handful of teams right now who don't seem to have a strong hold on what their momentum is, on what their formula is. It's not just Los Angeles. That's why this move was intriguing to me because this was not a team plummeting. This was not a team in the fever who seemed like they were headed for another team game, you know, year where they were only going to win a single digit amount of games. So we might as well make the move now. This was uh seems calculated. And I think it goes beyond basketball at this point. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't see, you know, it, so there's a lot of concern and issues there. Uh, if you have any thoughts on your end listening to this about the Sparks and their head coaching tenure and what moves they're making or just what the state of the Sparks looks like right now, because it's a lot of fun in a lot of ways. If we ever had a sort of, uh, you know, hard knocks style, uh, you know, program where we get a follow a team behind the scenes and have all access, you know, do that type of thing. The sparks would be the a one choice right now. There's just so much happening right now. There's a lot of personalities. It's really, it can be really intriguing as a lot of this stuff pans out how this move is made. If you have thoughts and responses to that, uh, after the episode, head over to Twitch at WMA nation pod. We want to hear what your thoughts are, what you have to say there. Um, you know, and and that was really the main move. I think, you know, we had a couple other personnel moves. There wasn't a high amount of transactions from this week. One move that was definitely intriguing uh, from my standpoint uh, was uh, with it in Atlanta. Asia Durr heading back home to Atlanta. The um, excuse me, as I'm trying to put all my stuff together. Um but Asia Durr traded to Atlanta from the Liberty, uh, New York in the exchange picked up the contract for Megan Walker, which I believe they've already waived, uh, and draft rights to Raquel Carrera. Um, there, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons behind this. Obviously, Asia Durr's story was, uh, you know, came in highly touted guard out of Louisville, um, had a very heavy COVID scare. We didn't see her for, for over a season. And if, if, you know, two seasons really, uh, was just making her comeback. It was really exciting to see what she could put together. Obviously the, the roster situation in, um, New York is, is really intriguing, you know, and especially with figuring out what they're exactly going to do at guard right now, uh, trying to make a lot of moves. Obviously, um, who's been taking up a lot of load the last couple of games. Um, I know they picked up danger field. I'm not sure what the situation there. I remember hearing, uh, it looks like danger field will be sticking by. I know there was rumors that they were, uh, dropping her, but I believe that's a formality. They're looking to actually sign her on full on for the rest of the season. Um, and this was just, that move was a formality there. 
happy to be corrected if that's the case, but uh, it looks like that they're leaning in pretty heavily to the potential of a UNESCO danger field backcourt, which is has high potential to be very exciting. Uh, but you're also looking at, you know, Sam, Sammy Whitcomb has been highly impressive in her tenure in New York, and that's only continuing to grow. Um, and, you know, Dee Dee Richards is kind of in that guard forward split up. So that opens things up a little bit. Uh, but that backcourt in New York is very intriguing. And the thing is, uh, you know, to heading to Durr's case, this gives Asia a chance to head back close to home in Atlanta. Um, as she continues to recuperate, get her legs out under her, it's much better situation. This also speaks to potentially be a, a sound potential pickup for the Atlanta dream who right now have high potential to be in the top four. As far as, as playoff running goes, obviously with the new playoff structure that doesn't play as much of an advantage now as it did a year ago. Um, but they're looking to be a potential top four team with the way they've been playing as of late and are looking to, to really pound themselves together. They, in my opinion, create a much more intriguing scenario. So I don't know how much we're going to see out of Durr this year. This very much, I think, is a year to help her get herself back uh, into basketball shape. But as this pans out, I mean, <laughs> the backcourt situation in Atlanta is stupid weird. There's so much. You, you've got Durr. You've got Tip Hayes, Ryan Howard, Ari McDonald, Erica Wheeler. What? It's just very much a, a cast of... <laughs> Uh, notable talent that could fill two starting spots and it'll be very interesting to see where that goes, but she could very much find her flow there. Uh, I think Atlanta is a handful of moves away from being a very strong contender and coach Wright has been, uh, just all levels of impressive as far as that move goes. So that'll be intriguing. Um, I would love to see Asia Durr, you know, get back to a confident level of basketball, get some quality minutes. The dream, the, uh, this, this is a very interesting move for the dream because it, it clears some space for them, sets their roster in, and we'll just see how they play their backcourt situation. And then the Liberty are an interesting case right now because uh, they, this is kind of the last real piece I wanted to hit on this little solo episode where I've just been rant heavy. <laughs> um, but it's been a really fun little stretch for the Liberty. They started off, was it one and seven? Um, very much, they won their first game and then lost seven games in a row. Very much looking dismal. They've then moved on to win three of their last four and very well could have picked up that, that one win against Minnesota. Um, so we're looking at right now, you know, they've won three of the last four. They seem to be picking up some level of confidence as a roster. They're only sitting in the ninth spot and the team ahead of them just dropped their coach and who knows where the heck they're sitting right now. So suddenly the Liberty are back in that playoff run. Uh, it's amazing a difference a week and a half can make. Looking at the, the Liberty's scenario, I have, um, you know, they've, they're now sitting at, I believe it's four and eight. Um, where at one point they were sitting at one and seven. I mean, things have picked up and there've been a handful of pieces. I know, for instance, um, our Twitch chat already called out Hanju has been, uh, very impressive from the, from the five position and being consistent, but it does make me wonder. I feel like Sandy, you know, when you look at 
the, you know, is this a potential turnaround? You know, that's really the question for the Liberty. Are they kind of making a trend up while a lot of teams are making a trend down? And another question is, is this a similar situation to what we saw in Chicago, where Chicago had a really rough start? Uh, they had some injury stuff they were dealing with. They got their footing back right at about this time of the season, and they turned it into a title run. Now, I'm not going to call the Liberty a title run team more than to say, is this something that just turns them into a very competitive team to end the year? And I think so, because I think they're finding their formula as a roster and figuring out what, what really makes this work. I, I have reason to believe that Sandy Brondello has really looked at the numbers and said, uh, you know, we're going to make some adjustments here as a team and, and really make this work. And I think the biggest thing, as you look at it, partially is their willingness to unleash Sabrina Ionescu. Ionescu is in this four game stretch has scored over 20 points with each. That includes a 31 point performance against Minnesota, followed up immediately by a 26, eight and eight performance. Uh, against Minnesota in a 19 point win where she shot 91% from the field. Um, so they've really allowed her to pick up some of the scoring load. Her minutes load has gone up quite a bit. She's distributing, um, at the same rate. Her turnover rate hasn't changed. Um, she only had one game where she was seemingly in foul trouble, but as Sabrina has really picked up some of the offensive load, and you've seen those point totals go up. It's really helped from what I've watched. The offensive mojo in New York really, really shift. And they've been able to, to pull some, you know, Minnesota and Indiana were three of those four games, but they did beat a very, very good Mystics team in that run. And so I found that to be really intriguing and will be very interesting to see where we take the discussion with not only the Liberty, but players like UNESCO, uh, where their standing is. I think, you know, Sabrina has definitely put herself strongly. I mean, the timing's perfect here for the all-star running with the all-star voting just starting. Um, and the MVP race between Asia and John Quell and some other names is very strong. So it's hard to insert a player right now into that unless they go on a hellish run. But if that hellish run existed, this four games is a great way to kick it off. So if there's a team you definitely should be putting some heavy emphasis into, I would definitely say right now uh, it's New York because I think the Liberty are on an uptrend and they're very exciting. Um, in our last playback discussion, Jason and I, when we did our last watch along, we talked about New York and Phoenix as the two question mark teams. They were the two teams that had very rough starts and were in situations where they could have a big turnaround. And they, they were both in games where one team was down late in, uh, while we were talking and the other team was up late. The Phoenix were up late uh, in a game and you watch those wheels fall off. And we were saying, you know, they needed to pick up this win and the next couple wins to head into the end of that first third of the season in notable spot. They now sit three and eight through 11 games and the Liberty aren't much different at four and eight through 12 games, but their trend seems very much different. There seems to be some real level of energy coming there. This is a team that I would have put in probably the 11 spot about a week ago in my power rankings. And they have changed that dramatically. So I think if there's a stock shifter you should watch, New York is definitely one. We've already called out Atlanta. They're definitely one because they haven't seemed to level off entirely. Um, Seattle's still my biggest question mark. I just don't know how to feel about the storm right now uh, as far as how I would level out 
stock for all of these teams. And then, of course, while all this is happening, the Aces and the Sun just seem to continue to ride things up at the top of the rankings, um, both at the double-digit win category. So there's that standard there. Um, I have one last real thought as far as solo discussion goes, and uh, we'll see if we have any additional Q&A. So if you're listening here on the Twitch uh, uh, and you're in the chat, if you're watching live, feel free to drop any questions for Q&A you have. If we have any drop-in, we'll get to those. But really, the one last thought here, uh, we have All-Star voting officially picking up, and... Uh, I, I, one question that I remember getting is, you know, what are your kind of dark horse all-star picks? I know, uh, uh, same listener Starfighter dropped into chat for this episode immediately with, uh, is anyone giving Hanju any votes for all-star, which I thought was an interesting call out. Um, looking through games and looking through efforts, there's one name that stands out heavily right now. Uh, and, you know, I'd be interested to hear everyone's dark horse moves. I have a couple that stand out in a lot of ways. You know, for instance, I, I think there's potential, like, I wouldn't be shocked to see an Ezzy Magbagor on this all-star roster potentially. I mean, she's played that well defensively. Um, the storm haven't been as high octane of a team as they should be maybe to make that work. Uh, especially where, you know, you've got players like Elena Deladon coming back and are going to be taking up those spots. But there's one name. I think last year I remember having this same discussion at this exact time with Jason about Marina Mabry and saying Marina Mabry should be an all-star and probably won't be. And that's going to be frustrating. Uh, I think that that kind of wild card type pick and keep in mind last year there was one all-star team because they played team USA, but that like wild card pick um, ended up going to Kalia Copper and, and should have, <laughs> um, but Mabry kind of was left out if I remember correctly. If there's a player right now that I go, absolutely, uh, is that move, is that kind of new, I don't like calling it a dark horse, but it's kind of that refresher move of a player who's entered, in my opinion, an all-star level and deserves that call out. And I think everyone has a couple names, but for me, I'm looking at these numbers. Right now, win shares across the league, uh, this is someone who sits in the top six in win shares, is top four in offensive win shares for a top team in the league is I believe uh I believe distributing in the top five. Yep, there you go. Uh fourth right now in assists per game uh through starting in the year. And it's currently, wouldn't you know it, second in scoring um in points per game, just falling under Bree Stewart. And I think I've seen enough. Kelsey Plum is an all-star. Uh Kel- and and this is like absolutely Kind of, we, we're finally getting a level of the Kelsey Plum. I think we've, we were hoping to see when she was drafted and she's playing at a very high level is, uh, very much an anchor source to the success the Aces have had this year. And that's my move. Like is, is, I think that's the move that a lot of people are calling out. And it's interesting because, uh, this harkens back to, you know, talking about Caitlin Clark. And I remember we get, we got a Q and a back during the college season about is she primed to be in like that Kelsey Plum situation as if Kelsey Plum was being called a bust and me saying Kelsey Plum is primed to be an all-star and be a, a huge impact player for a team. I, that's actually not at all a bad take <laughs> to make that comparison. Um, and it's been fun to watch, but uh, I would call that out to our, our Twitter fam and, uh, you know, followers, listeners, you know, make yourself heard as you're putting in these all-star votes. Who are those, who are those call outs? Who are those names you're saying they finally deserve that all-star nod for me? It's plum. 
you could even call it Jackie Young if you really wanted to. Um, you know, there have been a handful of standouts. Ryan Howard has been playing, um, especially effectively, uh, so far this season for a very good Atlanta team. And I believe is also in, uh, yeah, the Ryan Howard is, is top of the league in defensive win shares as it stands right now. So don't be shocked if you, if you see the number one pick, the rookie finding a spot there. Um, but that's where I stand with it. I, you know, Plum's kind of the name that I'm heralding, but you know, there's a lot of names that would be interesting to, to make it happen. And, um, that's been fun in its own way, but that's really everything we have in the show right now. Um, we'll be dropping in back. Uh, I think we're hoping, you know, our goal is to get a couple of these out a week as the season continues to progress, especially as we zero in on all-star season. Um, hope this has been fun for y'all. It's been an intriguing time for me because I've never done one of these solo apps that I can at least recall. So hopefully it's been a good time for you. Hopefully you've enjoyed some ad breaks. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed <laughs> uh, calling out ad breaks. Um, anything else along the head? We've already hit the plug center. Head over to our merch page. Check us out on playback when we're doing some watch parties. Um, and any other information you can always find over at WNBANation.com on our website. That'll link to anything that we have going on. Especially check out uh, our weekly uh, power rankings that we've been putting out and not only from us as hosts, but also from Whoopi, uh, our designated predictions, uh, bot machine digital expert. I don't know what we're wanting to call Whoopi anymore. Uh, but Whoopi's actually been like shockingly good with predictions as of late. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, really everything for the take here on the solo end. We'll be back later this week or early next week with some more W takes as the season continues to roll on. But until then, uh, thank you for listening to the show. I'm Steve Schwartzman, free Brittany Griner, and uh, we got you next time. No, I'll see you